Hello from Yerushalayim Abed Shemesh. It's Benjamin Rose and myself, Gedali Gutentag with Mishpachaz, Homefront, covering Israel's biggest conflict in a generation. Hello, Benjamin. Hello, Gedalia, and we're going to lead with internal Israeli politics today, which we've tried to shy away from because it takes away from the Achda story, which is so important and so valid. But there's been more calls now for Yemen Netanyahu to resign. One of them came from an expected corner, Yari Lapid. Who's been quiet recently? Who's been quiet, even though originally he said, like everyone, that we're not going to change horses in midstream, so to speak. But yesterday he said that Joe needs to resign and we need someone else from the Likud to lead the party and lead the government in the war effort. That's point number one. Then yesterday, Galit Distel Akbarian, who's a MK from the Likud, in private WhatsApp correspondence, she expressed her great anger at Netanyahu and said that the days of this government are numbered. We've also heard a couple of calls from the Otsma Yehudit party, which is Itamar Ben Gvir's party, not from Ben Gvir himself, but from party members, that we have to have a new government as soon as the war is over. And I'm going to say two things. I think it's going to happen. Not Bibi's resignation, but there is going to be a change in the government. But I think it would be a big mistake to do it fast, and I'll tell you why. The most important thing is to have this investigatory panel and commission that's going to find fault and talk about who was at fault for all of the faflas, if I can use an Israeli slang word, that occurred that enabled the Hamas attack on October 7th to happen. And before that commission, before we name names and before we say who's guilty, we might end up nominating or voting for one of the people who's just as guilty as the next one. I think we have to let the dust clear like they did after the Yom Kippur War, where you had the Argonaut Commission. And then it took a few months for the Argonaut Commission to come out with a report. And then Golda Meir resigned. And then the IDF chief of staff and intelligence had resigned. And then we were able to start with the clean plate. But if we do it right away, without knowing who did what and who was really responsible, you might end up with the new head of the government being one of the people who was mainly responsible for what happened. So I think that this is premature. I think it's, it's hasty and unwise. And I think somebody with more influence than me ought to come out and say it. Well, Benjamin, I don't know if you include me in that latter category, but I do want to add to that, that yes, it's a question of timing, but it's also a question of a change of culture, of taking responsibility. I don't remember the last time here in Israel, maybe you can correct me, but I don't recall the last time for a serious, for something really, really outrageous, a public figure actually had to go. They go kicking and screaming, if at all. In Britain, you have a culture of responsibility, ministerial responsibility. If a minister, something happens under a minister's watch, even if you knew nothing about it, he will go. He will resign. It's the expected thing, and it happens. doesn't mean you can't have a comeback. You have David Cameron, who has just returned as foreign minister from the wilderness, where he was prime minister after losing the Brexit about seven years ago. So the point is, here in Israel, we need to develop a bit more of a culture of responsibility. I think back in 2011, with the Carmel Forest Fires, we saw Eli Ishai, Minister of the Interior, took the rap for it. But the government in general didn't, despite the fact tremendous number of people lost their lives over that. I would point me now into the fact in the aftermath of the Miron disaster, when 47 Jews already lost their lives, no one lost their job. This was a government, this was documented, it was warned, and there was lots of fact passing. But at the end of the day, there's a lack of a culture of taking responsibility. And it's not good enough to say, well, he's also responsible. Sometimes heads need to roll in order to, so that there should be a sense of accountability and that politicians don't just get the credit when things go well, but they also take the rap as well. I think it's an important thing.
But I would like to talk for a minute about something, the topic of hostages, which is a very emotive topic, very, very, very painful. I think a couple of weeks ago, I spent some time with hostages' families and the depths of despair there are so, it's got to be seen to be believed The people living in despair and numbness, a mixture there are. I just want to have an attempt at some clear-eyed analysis and understanding of what's actually going on at the moment. So, Benjamin, there's a couple of dynamics. Number one, first and foremost, it seems to me that we do not see real signs of gewalt coming from Hamas at the moment, right? And that is for one reason. We would see the ultimate sign of gewalt is a real open threat to the well-being of the hostages. Right back in the 1970s, when you had Palestinian terrorism at Black September and the etc., a group that eventually hunted to extinction uh, by the Mossad, they would turn hostages into a spectacle. Now we know Al Hamas are no less murderous. They are trying to see murderous. So why have we not seen the hostage card being played far more openly and videos, etc., put under pressure, being blooding the media? Why is that not happening? I think we raised this a few weeks ago, but to me, this is the ultimate sign that this group Hamas is nowhere near feeling threatened enough to deploy that card. And that for me is a worrying sign. The second thing is that at the moment, defeating Hamas and recovering the hostages seem to be parallel aims. They will eventually clash as aims. When Hamas truly feels threatened, those two aims become contradictory, at which point the public will need to choose between them. Vidalia, I'm not privy to intelligence information, but uh, I would speculate that one of the reasons why we haven't seen any centralized action or information on the hostages on the Hamas side is because probably the hostages have been split up into several locations and are being held by more than one group. And that could be why there's not coordinated action. As far as what Israeli policy should be, I can only quote, among others, Victor Lieberman, who I heard this morning being interviewed by Ynet, who said that uh, the more we talk about the hostages publicly, I'm not talking about you and I, because we're giving analysis to our listeners and our readers, but in the political realm, the more people talk about hostages and what the final deal should entail, the stronger it makes Hamas. And they know that this is a very sore point and a real issue that tugs at the heart of Israelis. The more we talk about it, and again, we, when I say we, I'm talking about the officials who are involved in this, the more they talk about it in public, then the worse it is. And it could be also because there is so much conversation about it and demonstrations, etc. That's another reason why uh, Hamas feels strengthened at this time. So that's something that the officials have to take care of. Although I must say that when I hear uh, Yoav Gallant or Benny Gantz or others say that uh, putting military pressure on Hamas is the way to get the hostages out, Either it's wishful thinking or they're trying to pull the wolves over our eyes because I just don't see that the two would go together. I pray for the hostages. I have this feel on the pidyon shuyim that I say every day. And so many others are saying that prayer and others. We just have to hope for miracles really for Hashem to bless us in both ways with the military campaign and with the release of our captives. On that note, I do want to add one final thought. I know you have good news that you want to give over at the end. But there's a report that came out, I was just reading this morning, by the Middle East Forum, which is run by Daniel Pipes, who is one of the sons of Richard Pipes, known as one of the first of the neocons in America. So Daniel Pipes runs the Middle East Forum, and they have an arm which is called Focus on Western Islamism. And they came out with an investigation, which I just received uh, today by email, 
that uncovered more than $260 million that have been sent through charitable organizations in the U.S. to Hamas-aligned charities. Some of that money has come from the State Department. A lot of the money has come from corporate sponsors, big banks and brokerage firms. And it's something that really needs to be investigated. There are laws against it. And the Middle East Forum, among others, are going to start lobbying that the laws be enforced and new laws be passed to make sure that this money doesn't get to Hamas, because we all know that whatever you give them, a good portion of it is going to be used for the terror machine. And I'm not sure I'm about to break into the terror. What I do want to just raises something slightly biblical that I saw related to a WhatsApp that's going around. There's a message that's going around that I see forwarded many times, which is a useful feature that didn't used to exist back in the day on WhatsApp. And it concerns a lady, Dr. Rochelle Ford, who's a president at Dillard University, who Binyamin, you tell me, is in Louisiana, which is apparently pronounced Louisiana. And she spoke at the rally a few days ago in Washington, in Israel's defense. And she said she spoke passionately about the rights of anti-Semitism. And then she's received a tremendous backlash from people on campuses, as expected, for actually for daring as a member of the academic world to stand by Israel. And so there's a call for her to number to call her, her office and thank her. But amongst her words there, and you can find it on the university's website, she says, God's timing is always perfect. For about six months, Ari Berman, Yeshiva University's president, and I have been trying to meet regarding partnerships with Dillard University's revived National Center for Black-Jewish Relations. We finally connected on October the 11th when Rabbi Berman just returned from Israel. His heart was heavy and I said to him, and I love this quote, this is the biblical quote, says, the Bible says that the Jewish people won when Moses held his arms up. But who was holding up Moses' arms? Aaron and Hur. Let us be your Aaron and Hur lean on us. And Aaron and Hur. So it's not from this week's parasha, but it's definitely encouraging to see that this attempt to restore, mend the fractured relations between the academic world and Israel and the black world and the Jewish world over Israel, this attempt, even if it's just a drop in the ocean, we're very thankful to Dr. Rochelle Ford. And so instead of calling it office, that's our bright spot for the week. Benjamin, I wish you and our listeners all over a good Shabbos, a peaceful Shabbos, and may all the forces in Gaza and the people on the home front and indeed Amistral everywhere have a peaceful Shabbos.